Hi, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome back to our Midweek Bible Study 2023 Winter Edition. Today is Wednesday, January 4th. We're continuing in our study of 2 Corinthians, and the topic is sowing generosity. And the text is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. We'll get to all that in a moment, but right now, join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing grace, your incredible love, for the chance to have a new year. And we started out studying your word. Lord, help us to understand the truths about sowing generosity. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. In the last study, right before Christmas, the second part of chapter 8 is what we were working on, and we talked about Titus and his companions. Their mission was to take up the offering from the Corinthian church for the Jerusalem Christians. Finish what you started was their battle cry, along with transparency and accountability in all things, including financial issues within the church. Today's text reminds the Corinthians of their initial enthusiasm for the Jerusalem collection and of their delight that God would use them to help other believers. Their enthusiasm was contagious. The Macedonians had heard of their eagerness and had also eagerly responded to the appeal for money. But as Paul was preparing to collect the last of the contributions, the Corinthians' enthusiasm had waned and the collection ground to a halt. Paul was worried that when he came to Corinth, the Corinthians would give grudgingly. God wants cheerful givers and enthusiastic team players, not selfish and disgruntled givers. So let's find out which the Corinthians will be. Open your Bible or Bible apps to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 15, and follow along as I read. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready at all, as I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those in need, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. 
Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Let's unpack these verses together, shall we? Let's go back and look at verses 1 and 2 to start off. Paul says, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that it stirred up so many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. Here's the question. What was Paul's intent by starting out with these two verses the way he did, and how might that relate to running a marathon? In effect, Paul was prodding the Corinthians to rekindle their initial enthusiasm for giving. Look, Paul wasn't naive about human behavior. The start and end of a marathon are much more thrilling than the miles in between. It takes stubborn determination and perseverance to keep on running. And that was the message to the Corinthians. Next up, verse 3, it reads, But I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. Here's the question. In addition to inspiring the Corinthians to complete their collection for the Jerusalem believers, what else is Paul saying about this process? Paul has clearly been boasting in a positive way about the Corinthians to other churches. To ensure his boasts were not in vain, he decided to send Titus and the two other brothers that we talked about last time. In several months, Paul was going to follow them, and then he would return to Jerusalem with the money so that the final contribution needed to be ready when he came to Corinth. Titus' job was to inspire the Corinthians to diligently set aside the money as Paul had instructed them in his earlier letter. Remember, we talked about that last year in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. But the job of the two representatives that accompanied Titus was to ensure that the money was actually collected. In sharp contrast to the false teachers who had infiltrated the Corinthian church, no underhanded methods would be used. Respected and trustworthy men from the churches would witness the entire process. Next, verse 4. It reads, We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. The question is, clearly Paul is continuing to speak about the Jerusalem collection, but he is also addressing other concerns. What might they be? Paul had told the Macedonians how the Corinthians had eagerly wanted to give from the beginning, which was about a year ago. But since then, a lot had changed. Paul was taking precautions just in case the Corinthians were to challenge his apostolic authority on the visit, which is something they had done previously. These Macedonian Christians would act as witnesses to how Paul had handled any confrontation that might occur. Regarding those other concerns, Paul was hoping that the Macedonians would not find the Corinthian church in spiritual disorder. That would be even more embarrassing. Next up, verse 5. It reads, So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Here's the question. Again, Paul brings up the point of giving cheerfully rather than grudgingly. What does proper preparation have to do with cheerful giving? As we've been talking about, Paul wanted this money to be given willingly and not given under any kind of pressure by trying to pull it together at the last minute. 
Otherwise, his appearance at Corinth would be associated with a kind of a frenzied collection effort. If the money was raised in a short time, it might give the appearance of being some kind of scam. Paul wanted the Corinthians to remember that they were giving to God, and that required some advanced planning. Titus and his two traveling brothers would go to Corinth before Paul's visit to make sure the gift was ready. Proper preparation would ensure that the people gave cheerfully. That's an important note for all of us to remember. All right, next is verse 6. It says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. The question is, what is the point of Paul's analogy regarding planting a little and planting a lot as it relates to this collection? The people of this time would be intimately familiar with the principles of an agricultural economy. It's just something normal in their day-to-day -day work. Planting, weeding, and harvesting were common everyday tasks. Keeping more seeds in storage might appear to be wise, a way to ensure against future disasters. But the farmer who scattered only a little seed would inevitably have a small harvest. A farmer who refused to risk his grain on the next year's harvest would lose. This piece of agricultural wisdom contains a profound truth about Christian giving. Like the foolish farmer who only plants a few seeds, who refuses to trust God with their future financial security, will inevitably lose out on God's rich blessings. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. That's what the verse says. The eternal harvest will exceed their expectations. Absolutely for sure. Next, look at verse 7. It says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. This is a repeated theme that we talked about weeks ago. And it continues, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, or as some of your translations will say, and God loves a cheerful giver. The question is, you've probably heard this verse before when the preacher's giving a stewardship sermon or something of the like. But what is the context for Paul's writing these words, and are they still true today? Paul continues a thought that we talked about several weeks ago, as I said, which was that each Corinthian believer had to make up his or her own mind as to how much they would give to this collection. It was not to be an impulsive decision, but a deliberate one. They were to assess their own ability to give and plan accordingly. Paul didn't want anyone giving reluctantly or in response to pressure, as the verse says, and the reason we can feel pressure to give can be directly related to not having enough time to prepare. So that's what Paul was trying to do here, to give the Corinthians enough time to again consider finishing what they started in that collection. Paul knew that God weighs the heart and not the amount of money. He looks at the giver and not the gift. And that's still true today. One who gives cheerfully out of a sincere gratitude for what God has done is the type of giver God cherishes. God multiplies those gifts beyond measure. All right, let's look at verse 8. It says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. The question is, what is the biggest obstacle people have to overcome in order to give their money to the Lord? And what is God's response to generous giving? I believe the biggest obstacle people face in this regard is worry. What if I don't have enough money next year for my retirement? 
What if some emergency comes up? What if I lose my job? These verses reassure the Corinthians and us that God is able to generously provide. Do you see that in that verse? It says generously provide for all their needs. The purpose of God's overwhelming blessing is always to equip his people to have plenty left over to share with others. This text does not imply that Christian giving is a contract with God where the one who gives gets. Instead, it says that God will provide whatever a Christian needs to do good. So in the end, a Christian's good works will bring praise and glory to God. Verse 9 reads, As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be forever remembered. Here Paul quotes from Psalm 112. What verse is this quote from? And what does it mean? The specific verse in Psalm 112 is verse 9, which says, They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Although the psalmist does speak of material blessings for the righteous person in that psalm, this verse that Paul quotes emphasizes the spiritual benefits of generosity to the poor. Those who are blessed by God with financial resources should give generously to help those with less. And as it reads, those actions will be remembered forever. Those who receive this person's gifts will remember the generosity for a long time, but more importantly, God will never forget that person's benevolence. All right, next up is verse 10. It says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. The question is, what does this verse say about the resources that God gives to the Christian and the responsibility that comes with them? I believe this says that these resources should not be hoarded or foolishly devoured or thrown away. God gives gifts to his people for their own use and for investing back into God's work. Christians need to cultivate them in order to produce more good works. This verse also says that God doesn't limit himself to merely giving more resources. In other words, more seed. He blesses what you sow so that it can produce a great harvest. And this harvest does not consist of personal wealth and riches. It is a harvest of generosity. He will take our inadequate efforts at good works and increase them so that they bless many people. All a person has to do is give. All right, next up, let's look at verses 11 and 12 together. They read, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will be joyful in expressing their thanks to God. Here's the question. According to these verses, giving generously to those in need produces two good things. What are they? First, through those gifts given to those in need, God meets their needs. Here, specifically, the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem. Second, the recipients of these generous gifts will joyfully express their thanks to God. Do you see that? Their celebration over these gifts will lead to heartfelt praise to God, for they will know that it is God who enables the giver to give in the first place. All right, verse 13 is next. Here we go. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. 
for your generosity to them and all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. The question is, in addition to the normal advantages that come through Christian giving, Paul hoped that the Jerusalem collection would have extra benefits. What would they be? Paul hoped that through this gift from Gentile Christians, Jewish and Gentile believers would be drawn even closer together in Christian fellowship. Paul viewed the collection for the poor Jerusalem believers as concrete evidence that the Gentile believers were obedient to the good news of Christ, as it says in that verse. One of the directives of the Jerusalem Council was that Gentile Christians should not forget the poor as reflected in Galatians 2.10, which says, keep on helping the poor. The Gentiles' generous gift to the Jerusalem poor would prove that they were obeying this directive. Paul never viewed the Jerusalem collection as a rite of initiation for the Gentiles. He was always perfectly clear that salvation came only through faith in Christ. But giving back to God is one of the many signs that a person's faith is authentic. Now, just as a side note, I mentioned the Jerusalem Council. In a nutshell, the Jerusalem Council, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 15, was a gathering of church leaders at Jerusalem to consider whether or not Gentile converts to the church should be required to obey the law of Moses. Now, there's more to it, but that's the nutshell version. So using the answer that I gave, that was a little bit of the background there. All right, next up, verse 14. We're almost done. Hang in there. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. The question is, the collection for the Jerusalem believers would not only demonstrate the sincerity of the Corinthians' faith, but it would also have another effect. What would that be? It would also tie the Christian community of faith closer together. Jewish Christians would view the monetary gift as an indication of God's overflowing grace working in the Corinthians' lives. This generous gift might be the one thing that would prompt these Jews to start praying for the Corinthian believers for the very first time. Just as the Corinthians' prayers for Paul made them partners with him in sharing the gospel, so these prayers of Jewish Christians would make them partners with Gentile believers. Through this, the entire community of faith, Jewish and Gentile Christians, would be built up in love. What a beautiful picture. And now the final verse for today, verse 15. It reads, Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Now, rather than ask you a question about this last verse, I'd like to share a couple of thoughts with you about it. Paul ends his appeal here for giving with fervent praise to God. The source of all this, the ability to give, the desire to give, even the reconciliation that would occur between Jewish and Gentile believers was solely from God's hands. God is the ultimate giver. He gave a gift too wonderful for words. What was that? The gift of his son. God's extraordinary gift of salvation should motivate you to give generously to others. So as we start this new year, why not spend time meditating on how much God has given you and then evaluate your generosity in light of God's generosity to you? Well, folks, we've reached the end of today's study. It's been great to be back. We've been talking about sowing generosity and what a timely message it is for us as we begin the new year. Today, we found that learning to be generous with God naturally leads you to be that cheerful giver that God loves. And one of the most amazing lines in today's text says that God is perfectly able to replenish whatever you give. 
so you can be generous on all occasions, which is going to result in thanksgiving to God. Next time, we're going to study 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, and we'll talk about how and why Paul defends his authority. Thanks again for being with me. It's always a joy to share with you. Have an amazing rest of your day and week. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.